Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in the book of John, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Well, it's Palm Sunday. Actually, it's not, but that's what happens when you have nine chapters that cover six days of Jesus' life in the Gospel of John. So we are here today, and um, I guess I would start with, the, have you ever been uh, blinded, completely blinded by an expectation that you had that didn't come through. Has anyone ever show of hands? Like, meaning you expected something, it didn't happen, and you didn't see what would happen elsewhere, okay? Have you ever had an expectation where you really, really wanted something, and you, I mean, like, you went after it, and you didn't get that, and you're really, really upset? Has that ever happened before? And then have you had that same scenario where what you ended up getting actually was better than what you wanted? Have you had that as well? It's a little early, I know, like, people are struggling to, to follow me, that's great. Well, I had a sabbatical break this last, uh, this last summer, and it was awesome, and we decided we were going to spend a good chunk of time in Costa Rica as a family, and we had all sorts of things. We were looking at, like, surfing and hiking and all these amazing things that were set in place that I was like, oh, this is going to be so good. We're going to have so much fun. And then um, one of my children, who I won't name, Olivia, uh, she, uh, she is profound at seeing things that no one else sees except for the step in front of her. So she is always looking elsewhere. And so she just tends to fall and get hurt fairly regularly. Thank you for Aflac, honestly, because it, it is, is saved us. Um, but she, two days or three days before we leave, she's playing at school and she's just running or something happens and she rolls up on her ankle and, and gets stuck in a boot. She didn't break it, but it's like older, whatever, it doesn't matter. Anyway, she's in this, in this boot and literally... All of my expectations of what was going to happen in Costa Rica were shattered in that moment because now I have a child in 
a boot. And I would love to say that I was this wonderful, gentle father that was like, oh, I'm so sorry, baby, and I can't believe that happened. Instead, it was like, how dare you do this to me? I never said that to her, but that's how I felt inside. Man, all the expectations of what we had. Now I got to travel with, because we're cheap, with lots of carry-ons. And now I got to carry hers. And this is going to be insane. And this is going to be horrible. And Jen and I are just trying to figure out, like, well, how are we going to do this? And what do we do with backpacks? And, and all of our expectations of what was going to happen in Costa Rica at this moment had shifted so much so that we were like, well, I don't even know what to do with this. And you guys may, might be that's dramatic, but if you have four children traveling with, like, 12 bags as carry-ons, you know what I'm talking about. And what's funny is we, we look back, we went to Costa Rica, it ended up being amazing, but what happened on the front end is, is someone was like, hey, have you thought about you know, putting Olivia on the wheelchair thing? I was like, oh, I, I didn't think about that. I guess I could do that. And so I just go online and put her on the wheelchair thing. And then, I kid you not, the entire traveling experience could not have gone better. We were boarded first. Our bags were taken care of for us. We got pushed through a thousand people in customs because Jose was just ripping Olivia on the wheelchair. We're just following her through customs. Like, sorry, people got this. Like, we got places to go. Apparently, you don't. Like, you know, like, it ended up being incredible. And then Aflac gave us money for it. And it was like, everything was just great. And I was like, I could not have been more wrong. Because I can tell you, the travel back, we didn't have that boot thing. And it was horrible. Like, horrible. Like, Livy, can you break your foot again? No, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's amazing how when we expect something that we have zero control over, how we can start living in light of that very thing happening as if it's already happened. We can, we, can, we can see something or get wrapped up in the moment, and all of a sudden, everything that we see, everything that we're excited about is based on the fact of this one thing happening. And then when that one thing happens, like many of us that were so excited about getting married because it'd be so much easier or so excited to have children because it would be so wonderful and it's easier, like we realize that every one of those things are great and they're wonderful, but, but they weren't the thing that brought us the joy. And I've always been dumbfounded by this scripture until I realized that I'm just one of the members in the crowd, as are all of us. How could so many people be so excited about a man and then just a few short days later, y'all crucify him? It just seems so counter to like, how in the world is that even possible? And yet then I look at my life when I'm expecting one thing and it doesn't come through, how I feel like I've been deserted or abandoned and I'm frustrated and I didn't get what I deserve or what I want. It's amazing how expectations change everything. This is the the triumphal entry, you know, this is one of the few um, pieces of history that we get that all four Gospels bring about, and you get a really beautiful picture. If you look at it through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see kind of everything that happens from, from the cult that's tied up, or the cults, I should say, that are tied up, to the, to the, the laying of the cloaks over the cults, to the, to the palm branches, to all these things happening, we can look at it and go, man, this is so prophetic, prophecy fulfilling. This is it. This is amazing. Except for there's one thing missing for every single person that's walking along this road with Jesus right now. Is that when they expected him to do was what he was doing, but not the way that they expected it to happen. And because their expectations were not met, that's how a, a crowd of people with overexcitement can be yelling, Hosanna, save us, salvation for us from the highest, can be laying palm branches down like they did in, in 164 BC for Judas Maccabeus when he, he took over and brought things in place. Like our king, he's brought things in place and it, it became this whole idea like you do this for a king. 
who's coming to take things in place. Except for Jesus is riding on a donkey, not a white horse. A donkey is a cult of peace. We see that in Zechariah 9, 9. They're, again, they're yelling Hosanna. translates essentially just save us, salvation for us. When you say Hosanna in the highest that we see in Matthew, they're literally calling on heaven to save us. We see in, in Luke that they say, like, the Pharisees com- combat Jesus, like, hey, are you hear what they're saying? They're literally, they're literally calling you the Messiah. And he says, look, if they're silenced, the rocks will cry out. Jesus uses the term son of man. Again, it's a messianic term, and it makes sense. And if any, any of the good Jews that understood their scriptures would have seen Daniel 7 in that and went, whoa, 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 this is a direct claim as the Messiah. And people got wrapped up in that. They got excited about it as he's making his way out. Again, we, we hear John kind of lets us in, like the reason why they're excited is because Lazarus is there, and the Pharisees are like, we need to kill Lazarus because, because there, there's too many people coming to him. People are coming. We got to get rid of him so that we can show, like, see, he's dead again, and there's nothing that Jesus really did. And so we know that there's a crowd of people that find out where he is at this la- that dinner that he was at that we talked about last week, and they start following him. And then there's many people coming in for a Passover, and there's tons of people, and they're just kind of taking shape, and they're all kind of lost in the moment, laying cloaks down and, and palm branches and, and celebrating Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And everyone's super, super excited about it. They're even saying, Hosanna, to come in the name of our Lord. Blessed is the man who comes in the name of our Lord. That is literally to represent God. You represent him. You're coming in representation of it. Everything they're saying is right. Everything they're saying is right. They look to Jesus for salvation. Hosanna was addressed to kings. We see this in 2 Samuel 14 and 2 Kings 6. And they openly give Jesus the titles appropriate for the Messiah. Well, no wonder everyone's upset. The people had the right idea. They even said the right things. The problem was, as we all know, what happened a few short days later. And I like to think that there were two separate crowds, you know, the people that were excited and then the people that were yelling crucify. But you know as well as I do, if you're that excited about Jesus, you're not getting very far from him. And I would hope that there would have been more people yelling no or don't crucify him. But it seems just as they were won by the crowd, they were lost by the crowd as well. See, they expected him to save him, but on their terms. They wanted to crown him for freedom from Rome. Their their nationalistic view had gotten too high, but they lost sight of the kingdom view like I think many of us have today too, not to get too pushy, but I think our nationalistic view is too high. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are part of his kingdom and his kingdom first. No other kingdom lasts. And Jesus is saving them, but he's saving them from something so much greater, something that they didn't even think they needed. Even though they're crying out, Hosanna, save us, they're saying save us from the the tyranny of Rome. You know, where they're getting ready to celebrate a Passover meal, which is the celebration of freedom from the Egyptians while being enslaved by Rome. I get it. They're tired. They're tired. They're exhausted people. Like, we, we are literally celebrating what you did for your people in Egypt, and here we are underneath another person, occupied by a whole different state. Jesus actually does conquer, but in his way, not theirs. See, the expectations they had 
of God actually blinded them from seeing what he was doing all along. If you look at this text, Jesus is very clear. Comes to the end, he says, look, a wheat must die. It must be, a seed must be planted. It must die so they can bear much fruit. He's been as clear as clear can be across the way talking about the Messiah and what, the, what must happen for the Messiah. Even after his, even after his resurrection, when he's walking with the, with the disciples on the road, right? He's like, did you not read that the Messiah must die? Like, look at, and he's like, unfolds the scripture for them, which I wish we had more of that sermon in text. The sounds of the crowd on Palm Sunday would be, blessed as he, save us, would soon become, crucify him. Again, I don't think I would probably be any different, but the Pharisees and the people had their problems, but so do we. If we know our hearts apart from Jesus, it's not too hard for us to quickly abandon that which we believe in him. One scholar says it this way, he says, if we could listen in on the crowd, we'd hear our shouts along with theirs. We'd hear our praise, hollow as it were, and then by Friday ashamed, we'd hear our mocking voice call out among the scoffers. After all, it's not the righteous who Jesus came to save, but the sinners, sinners just like you and me. And this is still our problem today. This is still our problem. This is, this is, this is what we, we continually do over and over and over again, is what happens when things don't line up to our expectations. What happened in 2020? Did you guys all expect that to happen? What about now? What about the fact that we're still having this conversation about a pandemic? Were your expectations that it would be over a long time ago? How's, how's your heart doing with these expectations not being met? How willing are you to follow God even when it's really hard to? Or even when the masses aren't, when the, when the crowd shifts from a wonderful, we're in this together to a complete divisiveness. Are you, are you willing to, to continue to stay true to the kingdom of God when the masses aren't? Are you hoping for something much smaller than what Jesus is doing? Look, in Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, they, 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 the disciples say something I think that you and I often say in our prayer life to Jesus if we're honest. They say, we had hoped He's playing, they can't understand Jesus, and they're like, you don't know Jesus? And they're like, yeah, this Jesus. We had hoped, we had hoped that he, he would be the one to save us. We had hoped for that, but he didn't save us. We had hoped he'd redeem Israel, but he didn't, and yet they didn't understand that that's the very thing he did was redeem Israel. They never stopped to listen to Jesus, to put the words of his teaching firm in their hearts. He was doing more than just redeeming Israel. He was redeeming the whole world the only way it could be done. Like maybe many of us are saying now, save us from economic crash, save us from this pandemic. We're crying out, Hosanna, 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 Hosanna. God, save us. Save us from depression. Save us from this divisiveness. Save us from falling apart of the seams. Save us from financial instability or save us from, from not being able to make it. Save us, save us, save us. None of those things are bad. Jesus cares about all of those things. We see in Psalms 34, 17 through 18, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears, and hear this, and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Hear me on that if you hear nothing else today. He is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. 
He's near you. No matter how hard it is, no matter what you're expecting, the reason why you can't quantify it, like this makes sense. This even seems true to your character, God. Why isn't this happening? He's working. He's always working. But like the people in Jesus' day, we can call out to God to save us from what we see. And God's not just looking at what we see. He's looking through his own eyes and what he sees and how he's to save us in a way that brings him glory and how he's sanctifying each of us to be more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. So the very thing we may be asking for, God's going, yeah, yeah, I, I want so badly to give you this. But it doesn't make you more like Jesus. It makes you more self-reliant. It makes you more like the broken person that, that died and has been made new with Jesus. It makes you look more like the guy in the old closet, the old self, not the new self. So what does this mean for us as people? Can we not have expectations? Do we not ask of him anything? Can we, is it okay to come to God and ask for something that seemingly could be just for ourselves, even if it, we have no idea, because all of us have no idea whether or not what I'm asking for is truly what Jesus wants for me, or if it's just something I want? Of course we can ask. In fact, I'll just use Jesus as the one example, and I've used this before, but Jesus, right before the cross, shortly after this triumphal entry, we see in Luke 22, 41 through 44, Jesus, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Here, here is the Son of God, fully God, fully human, asking God for another way when he knows the plans. If Jesus can come before the Father and ask of him this, then why can't we ask of things? He goes on and says, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Of course we can ask. Of course we can ask God. God, would you please save these people? God, would you please end this? Would you please change the medical system? Would you please end the pandemic? Of course we can ask these things. Jesus is here before God when the plan is laid out before the foundations of the earth to finish it this way. And he's saying, God, if there's another way. So of course you and I can ask. Ask. He's a father that's better than any father you'll ever understand on this earth. But we must understand in our asking, if our asking turns to expectations that if he does not fulfill what we ask, that he is in some way incapable of being God, this is where the danger happens. If when we ask, like my kids will ask sometimes when we're out in stores, like, hey, dad, and they'll do like the, the sweet like eyes, kind of passive aggressive, like, I'm really thirsty, you know, and there's like this little drink right there in the gas station or whatever else. It's like they, they're asking for that. Like they just don't want to ask because they don't want to hear no, right? If we're asking God like that, like, hey, God, I'm going to pretend like you don't know what my heart is, but, you know, could you? Like, no, just come to and ask. Be bold with him. But here's ultimately what's going to happen with our lives when we come to a pass. When we, when we see our expectations, we're either going to crown him or crucify him. We don't, there's no middle ground. There's no like, oh, okay, cool. I can, I can crown him for a little while until it's, it's not convenient in my finances. 
Or I can crown him as long as he's not asking me to do something that's true to his scripture in this way. I can crown him until my ideology that is a part of another kingdom, not his, is greater than in value to me. No, you're either going to crown him or you'll crucify him. There is no in between. If you have expectations that aren't met, it leads to questions of God. Is he sovereign? How can a good God do this? And on and on and on. And it's not wrong to ask those questions of God. He's not afraid of those questions. But those questions are based on a presumptuous idea that we know more than the God who created us. They're based on the idea that, that I somehow am in the know that Jesus forgot about or something like that. I was, jo- I was joking with John Mitchell this week and he said it this way. I, I got tired of hearing people say, and I've even done this before, I just couldn't imagine Jesus doing as if we imagined Jesus at all. He imagines us. We, we know, like our creativity and our minds were made by him. But if you crown him, then what Jesus goes on to say is he says, look, you, you can crown me, it's great, you do this, but whoever loves his life loses it and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Hate is a, is a Semitic saying, kind of this, um, this idea, this expression that, that has the idea of giving preference to one over the other. So it's not just the way we see hatred, but it's this idea of like, this has no value, so therefore my preference is here. He's saying, look, my life as I have it has no value in comparison to being lived for by Jesus and for Jesus' purposes. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. He not, not he might, not he should, not when it's convenient, not when it's just, when, when there's a pandemic going on, we can ignore that. No, 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 he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. What is Jesus saying here? This is interesting section here because he's, he's answering this question that was brought to Philip. Um, the, you know, these, these Greeks come to Philip and say, hey, we want to follow Jesus. We want to know more about this Jesus person. So then Philip goes to Andrew, who's a little bit closer to the inner circle, like, hey, I picture this conversation, like, hey, is this, is this, are we allowed to do this? Like, you know, most likely these Greeks, even if they were following the, the, the Jewish God, were still not welcome beyond the Gentile, Gentile court. So there's a good chance that Jesus is in further, so they can't get to him anyways. And so they catch Philip, and Philip comes and has this conversation with Andrew, and Andrew's like, I don't know, and we don't really get the question. He just says, Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and just told Jesus, like, hey, these, these Greeks out here, they're here for the feast, and they want to see you. And Jesus answers them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Did he, did he answer the question, or did he? He answers it really well in 32. He says, and when I, verse 32, we'll talk about this next week, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. You see what Jesus is doing? Israel was so focused in on themselves that they forgot their other people. Dare I say, we get so focused on ourselves, we forget their other people. Made in the image of God, important to God. And therefore, if we are his servants, are important to us because where Jesus is there, we are also. He says, no, no, this is, has to happen, not so that you can deal with Rome. I mean, like you could read through the Old Testament scriptures, just pick a chapter, and it's like there's someone else in authority. It's like back and forth over and over and over again. God seems to be weaving his plan in spite of that. So how dare we lose sight like they did? Hear me on this. Please hear me on this. Please hear me on this. You, as a child of God, are a part of the Most High Kingdom already victorious, already standing in peace, 
completely anchored to the throne room of God by Jesus Christ. That is whom you serve. That is who you live for. Our expectations can be that we will be made perfect and complete before God. Our expectations can mean that we can stand with our head high despite all our mistakes before God because we have an advocate in Jesus Christ. Our expectations are every spiritual blessing is already ours in Jesus Christ. We need to reorient our expectations. We can expect a more comfortable Costa Rica trip. I get that. That's fine. But may we never lose sight that anything in this world is not going to bring us joy or satisfaction like Jesus does. You're either going to crown him or crucify him. I think ultimately, as I was also talking with, with Mitchell this week about this, and he kind of said, like, I think this kind of boils down to what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, kind of A. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right? To seek first, it's not, it's not a, okay, cool, I'll do this first and then go on. It's essentially I'm abandoning everything else and this is what I'm for. The, the, the statement here is that everything I have is for his kingdom purposes and his righteousness. My life is lived for him because, like Jesus said, you must come with him as a servant. That means that ultimately what he's been saying all along, you must die to yourselves, is true. You must die to yourself. One scholar says, I said, to love God so much means that God has become primary and human existence has become secondary. That was the model set by the self-giving Jesus. And that is the model Jesus calls Christians to follow. Jesus went to the cross. And at the time, it made no sense to the disciples. We, we, get, we get to be on this side of it going, oh, this makes sense now. We know what he's doing. We see what he's doing. May we not fall prey to the crowd that starts yelling, crucify. For him to, to die, it literally meant he was establishing the kingdom, but it came through death and resurrection. What are you expecting God to do? Right now, if you, you, can, you can identify that in what are you praying for God to do? And are those expectations ones that, that are aligned with his will, his purposes? Then lean in harder. Are those expectations something that you just want for yourself and may have of no value? Then, okay, let's see what God does. But if those expectations come so high that if you don't get what you think or doesn't go the way you think it should, and all of a sudden you have a faith crisis in who God is, then may I encourage you to, to be strengthened in your faith. Let God speak to you in this. What are you expecting God to do? Are your expectations so narrow that you're missing entirely what he's doing? Hear me on this. Some of you right now are expecting something so narrow, and it's a good thing, but you're missing what God is doing entirely in your life. It, it has to be true because every single person in this section missed it. Even John, it's funny, later on, he's like, well, yeah, the disciples at this time didn't know. I love that he says the disciples and doesn't say me and the disciples, right? They didn't know, they didn't get it, but they got it later. Good job, John. What are you expecting God to do? What if your timeline doesn't match his? What if he says, no, 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 I'm, I'm working? 
Look at, look at all the wonderful people in Scripture that God has retained for us and their prayer life and asking for God from something. And almost always God's answer is wonderful, except for sometimes it's just a lot of years later. <laughs> you ever notice that? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm doing that. And 20 years later, it's done. It's like, wow, that was, that was harsh, God. Like 20 years? God is at work in your lives. He is not stopping. Don't expect anything less than that. But may we not expect something that is not a part of God's will or plan and put our joy and our hope in that. In a moment, we're going to take communion. The band's going to come up here. We're going to sing a song. You can go grab communion and then get back to your seat. We'll take it together. And this is a moment to remember that Jesus died for us and as his servants, we die to ourselves. And even though we are part of the crowd that yells crucify him, we are the ones that now can call him king and know that he has answered our cry of Hosanna, God save us. And so in a second, when we get going, feel free to grab communion, you can come back and I will lead us through it. But as you do this, you're, you're literally proclaiming Jesus saved me. You're, you're, being, you're being reminded of him, his salvation that comes to us through his sacrifice made for us on the cross and the life that is now ours in resurrection with him. And I don't, I don't want to sound overly simplistic, but let's be honest, that is the greatest need any of us has. That's the greatest need that anyone in this world has. It's not economic safety or even health safety. It's, it's the need of a Savior in Jesus Christ. And so as you are here as a follower of Jesus, professed to follow Jesus, you can sit in joy knowing that the greatest need for your entire life has already been satisfied and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that anything else is just gravy on top of that. Father, we thank you for... Um, I thank you for tempering some of my expectations, God. I thank you for your grace when my expectations lead me outside of your will. I thank you for the way that your word pushes me back into that. Community pushes me back into that. Forgive me for the times where I've been proud and expected more from you when you were doing way more than I ever expected. Father, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for um, your grace. And Lord, thank you for... um, Thank you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him and that you may continue to love God.